Church family, you have never looked or sounded more beautiful in the dark. You know, I mean, you knew when all of us came back together, it wasn't going to be normal, right? Like, you knew that. You have never looked or sounded more beautiful to me than you have today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? To Acts chapter 2. One of my very favorite passages in all the Bible. We get this idyllic picture of the early church before they knew better, right? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we'll read through the end of the chapter. God's word says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, When I look out over the congregation this morning, what I see is your faithfulness. What I see is your faithfulness. Oh Lord, how foolish do I feel for all of the anxious thoughts I've had over the last year. How foolish do I feel when it felt so lonely, seemed so lonely so much of the time. No Lord, what I see when I look out is that you were sustaining us every step the whole way. This was never about me. This was never about us. This was never about people. This was about your glory through your church. So, Father, my prayer today is just practical. Would you make the fellowship of your church sweet to your people? God, would you, would you let conversations be had? Would you let us linger together? Would you, would you just let us hear one another sing and let it lift up our spirits and lift up our hearts and lift up our eyes? God, would you, let, would you let joy fill this place? Would you let laughter fill this place? Would you let passion fill this place? Affection, repentance, awe, awe. As we look to the early church, would you fill us with a sense of awe and wonder at what you have done by coming to us and by bringing us together. Oh Lord, we don't take this for granted. Not anymore. Not anymore. Father, what an example it is in an isolated time to look out over the sanctuary and realize that we see the very presence of God manifest in his people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I have a friend who really he grew up and he didn't have a great family situation. Many of you probably can relate. The only family he knew was really a dysfunctional one. Dad wasn't really in in the picture. Relationship with mom uh, wasn't necessarily ideal. And and so he was always searching and trying to figure out kind of where he belonged and where where his crew was. And so throughout high school, he would kind of change from, from one group to the other group, whichever group would accept him as, at the time. And, and then he would 
kind of do what high schoolers do, change his appearance to kind of match the group of people that he was spending time with. As life went on and he went off to college, in college he, he began to discover more of himself, but, but while he was in college, he, he really used it as an opportunity to kind of self-medicate, and he, and he partied pretty hard, and to be honest with you, he, he would tell you, he'd be the first one to tell you that it, it worked for a while. For, for a while, he, he finally seemed to have some sense of peace, some sense of belonging, some, some sense of, of a source of, of joy, a source of, of comfort for him. But as he continued to grow and he graduated from college, those things that used to make him feel be- better, those things that used to get him excited, they just, they just, did, they just left him empty. And he, let, he started a young family, and as he started a young family, he was kind of trying to, to maintain those, those old ways and kind of bring those two things together, hoping that he would be able to identify again his place, being able to figure out exactly where he fit in this world and be able to kind of fill the emptiness and the sense of, of, of insignificance that he often carried with him. But it didn't work. And so what he would find himself doing is he would find himself purposely trying to be in three places at one time. Because what he, what he figured out is if I can just stay busy, if I can just stay active, if I can just stay, stay scatterbrained enough, then I don't think about how lonely I feel. I don't think about how disconnected it seems. But of course you know how that goes. That no matter how busy you stay, the darkness of the night still comes. You still end up lying there in your bed. You still end up being the first one up in your house. You still end up having to face the emptiness and feelings of insignificance that you know. But what happened is one day he stumbled into a church. He stumbled into a church. And while he was there, he was accepted. He was embraced. He was received. And the Lord began to to work in his life and work in his heart so much so that that he was converted and his family was converted. And God began to just transform and change his life. And he was was hungry. And and it was an amazing picture of what the body of Christ was supposed to do. Because older men began to put their arm around him and and kind of show him and and be a father figure to him that he had never had. And they would include him in their ministries and include him in their hobbies and just bring him in as a part of their life. Younger men befriended him and and gave him a a sense of of acceptance, a a place where where he really felt like, like, like that was his crew. Those were his people. They were none of them perfect. Man, he was really guarded at first, but over time he, he found an ability to just be open. And what I remember is God doing such a work in him that he went from being one of the young men that was looking up to the older men to being one of the older men that the younger men were looking up to. And do you know where it started? It started when he found a family. It started when he found a family. That's what the church is intended to be. A family. A family. The vision that we have for our church is not that we would be the best show that you can come to once a week. 
the vision that we have for our church is that we would be a family of believers, a family of believers united under the banner of Christ to go forward for the mission of Christ, that we would come together with all of our messed up selves and imperfections and insecurities, and we would bring those things together as a single family the way that families do, the way that families do. Our, 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 we, we sum up our, our vision through a discipleship process this way, connect, disciple, go. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about connection. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're, we're talking about this desire to be a family, this, this design that we believe that God has, has given for us to be united together as the spiritual family of Christ. But if I'm honest with you, one of the things that our staff has sensed among us is that we have a deficit of connection. We have a deficit of connection. So if you'll remember, um, a few months ago, we, we sent out a survey, and, and I think there were like 114 or 115 of you that filled that out, and we were so appreciative. It gave us a really good sample. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to see if what you were feeling was the same thing that we felt like we were seeing. And, and I think there's a lot of things that, that kind of uh, contribute to this. We have a lot of new people. I think like something like 75% of our church has been here less than five years so, so there's not a lot of, of, of people, so you, so you have a lot of people in our church that don't have deep roots, and so they're trying to figure out, and they still kind of feel like the new kid on the block, right? You have, you have new believers that are here, they still kind of feel like the new kid on the block. You have some people that have been here a very long time, and they're just trying to figure out exactly where they fit with all this new stuff that's going on, and all these new folks that are here. Um, and, and so I think there's a, a lot of factors that have contributed, but here, here's what we found out, is that in our survey... Something, if you add this, we have about 58% of the people that say they're either very connected or they would define the church as being their family. They would define their church as being their family. And by the way, that's how we've defined connection at Iron City. For our purposes, the way that we've defined connection is a connection is when a person begins to view their local church as their family, a family that misses them when they're not there and whom they missed when they're unable to attend. And so we have about 58% of the people that say, when I come, I feel like I'm connected. So that's, that's basically six out of ten people, all right? So with, we think, thinking through our definition, our definition being a church family that misses me, a church family that I miss, here's what they said. And I think this is, uh, this is really uh, conclusive evidence. So you have about, right again, that same percentage, 58% who say, I miss it, but if I'm honest, or 40%, I'm sorry, I miss it, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure anyone misses me. 40%. So, so it gets back to, we have about 60%, according to our definition, about 60% of our people who feel connected. Now, this is my perspective. I don't think it should ever be 100%. Now, you might push back and think, well, pastor, that doesn't seem very loving of you. Like, you don't want everybody to feel, here's why I say that. There always ought to be new people coming in. There always ought to be new converts. There ought to always be new people finding Jesus and finding hope here. And when you first come in, you're not going to, you're not going to feel connected. So I think it ought to always be 10 to 20% of the people that feel disconnected. But they shouldn't stay there. We've got to move them, right? We've got to move them into connection. So, so what we want to do, if you think about our discipleship process, connect, disciple, go. It starts with connection for a reason. What we want to have here is we want to have a connection-first culture. A connection-first culture. That is that the very first thing that we want to do with you as you come to our church is we want to connect you into the life 
of this church. We want to connect you into our body so that you're able to have friends and relationships, so that you're able to go deep with groups of people, so that you have people that you can confide in and that will confide in you, so that you can begin to, to deal, deal with relationships and, and begin to put down roots. Because what, the way that we understand the New Testament to be shaped is that the best way for a person to have a vibrant, growing faith in Jesus Christ is for them to be connected into the life of the local church. That we are intended to grow in Christ and mature in Christ in the church of Christ. That this is the means of grace that God has provided into our lives that we could become and be shaped more into the image of Jesus. Some of that comes through the ministry. Some of that comes through the preaching of God's word and the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some of that comes through relationships and, and aggravating each other and forgiving each other and sinning against one another and encouraging one another and, and helping one another. All of those things are used in the providence of God to form you into the man or the woman that God God intends for you to be. And so what I want us to do, we're going to look over the next four weeks, we're going to do a series called, a, a little mini series called, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we're going to look at the nature of connection in the Bible and how we might become more effective at connecting as a church family. How we can overcome this connection deficit that we, we find uh, in the life of of our church so that we can all take responsibility of, of it together and we can make sure that as people as God sends us new people into the life of our church that we're able to bring them into our family because can I promise you God is not going to send us more people than we're able to connect God is not why would he he's not going to send us more people than we're able to love than we're able to care for because that's who we are that's what we're called to do and so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Is there something I need to do, John? Okay. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. It really is one of those mornings. You know what I'm saying? It really is one of those mornings. And I think what we see is we see in this idyllic picture of the early church the way connection was always supposed to go. The way connection was always supposed to, supposed to look. So the first thing that I want you to see here in the early church is that Connection begins with worship. Connection begins with worship. You'll notice there in verse 42 what it says is it, uh, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now I want to think about who is the they? Who is the they? The they is the 3,000 people that have just been saved. Remember what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, right? That's when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. Jesus had promised that he was going to send his helper, that, that it was going to be better that Jesus go away because he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would then indwell his people and inhabit his people and bring his people together. And so in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come and he has come and he is so, so much so that uh, that the apostles are, are there and they're gathering and everybody's like, what is wrong with you people? Are y'all like drunk? Are, are y'all are y'all under some kind of spirit? And, uh, and, and Peter says, he says, we're not drunk, y'all. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Give us some credit here. We, the, we have found the spirit of God. The spirit has indwelt us. And Peter begins to preach and, and it's like these flaming tongues that are over their heads. And Peter Peter preaches and every person that's there hears the word of God, hears the gospel in their own language. And that day it says they're cut to the heart and they're brought into the kingdom of God. And so 3,000 people are converted through the spirit-filled preaching of Peter. 
And so when it's talking about the they, it's talking about what they decided to do. Those 3,000 people that have been brought to faith by the Spirit through the gospel, what they decided to do next. So what did they decide to do next? They decided to devote themselves to some things. They decided to devote themselves to some things. And, And what's interesting here is nobody was standing there and saying, thou shalt, right? nobody's saying, thou shalt sit under thy apostles' teaching. You know what they're doing? They're doing, this shouldn't be lost on us. This is the work of the Spirit. They are doing what they want to do. They are doing what they desire to do. They, they, They are doing what they long, what they're hungry to do, what they're thirsty to do. So what is that? They devote themselves to four devotions. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I think that what we can summarize that, and I, and I think we're supposed to see verse 42 as kind of a summary of the rest of what's happening in 42 through 47 in the life of the early church. So he summarizes the activity in verse 42 of the early church as they were focused on knowing God and on knowing one another. That was their focus. That was their life. That was their devotion. That was their desire. That was their hungry. That they wanted to focus their energy and focus their their passion on how they could know God better, the apostles' teaching, the prayers. You'll notice that there's a a definite article before all of these. And so there's a a formal nature to these prayers. There's a formal nature to the breaking of bread. I think this is hinting toward the Lord's Supper. And so it's talking about the worship of church and going deep with God, but it's also the same toward the fellowship, the church. That we're not doing this by ourselves. No, I want to know you. I want to go deep with you. But I don't want that to be our primary focus this morning. The question I want to ask, the question I want to ask is why? Why? What is it that brought them together? What is it that brought them together? And what is it that held them together? I think that's what 43 is talking about. I think that's what verse 43 is talking about. Verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs, that's the miraculous, were being done through the apostles. In other words, it says that that they were brought together how? If you go back to to verse 37, just before where we met, Peter has preached, and he's preached the gospel up up to this crescendo, right? Like, he's looked at them, and he said, man, Jesus of Nazareth came. He was the Son of God. He was innocent, and he was pure, and he, he lived a perfect and obedient life according to the will of God. But you know what? You, by your sins, crucified him. You, by your sins, crucified him and so he he calls and, and and the narrator luke steps in and he he talks and describes what he saw what he saw in verse 37 he says now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do what, what this is describing is the very same thing that is being described in verse 43. This is the miraculous work of the Spirit to open up their eyes, to see the goodness and glory of Christ, and at the same time to realize the, the dire situation of their own sinfulness. And seeing those realities, they are cut to the heart, and they say, God, God, I am in awe of who Christ is. I am, I am, in, I am in fear of who I am. And so tell me, tell me, what can I do that I can be right so that I can know the salvation that this Christ has come to secure. It's all, all that's accomplished through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. Verse 43 carries it forward into the life of the church. So what we see is it's awe, it's worship, 
awe, worship, wonder that brings together the church. And then verse 43 shows us that it's awe, wonder, worship that holds together the church. They go and they, they begin to see the apostles preaching and teaching. And they, it wasn't just a one-hit wonder, man. Peter keeps teaching and keeps preaching. And it continues to be with an authority unlike what they've ever recognized before. So much so that through their preaching and teaching, they, they want all of it. And they devote themselves to it because they're hungry for it. And they want to they see more miraculous teaching. They want to be cut to the heart again and again and again. They want the Spirit to open their eyes wider. They want Him to, to soften their hearts more and to draw them nearer and nearer and so that it holds them together because their focus their focus is on the wonder of God so, so when it talks about the awe of God what exactly is it talking about when it talks about the awe of the church what is it talking about I, I think first and foremost it's talking about an awareness of the awesomeness of God an awareness of the awesomeness of God as they witness the apostles' teaching and performing miracles, it, it comes into their minds just how awesome God is, that God is immense, that God is enormous, that God is omnipresent, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, that God is, is everywhere in all times with all people at the same time. That This is not a God to be trifled with. This is, this is not a God to be dismissed. This is not a God to be taken lightly. This is a God who speaks and the world comes to be. And this is a God who, who sends his son, who bears the weight of the world on his shoulders and nails it to the tree. This is a God who intervenes in the lives of, of men and women and boys and girls so that they can hear and see and know in a way that they had never he seen and heard and known before. So there becomes this growing awareness of the awesomeness of God, of the might of God, of the power of God, of the presence of God. And at the same time, what is the Spirit doing? He's convicting their hearts of their sin. So it's not just an awareness of God, it's a self-awareness of how far short of God's glory they really fall, of how inadequate for God they really are. So here they are, knowing what what's in their hearts, knowing the sin that's in their lives, knowing the flaws that they have, knowing how far short of God's glory they fall. And yet here, they see this almighty, omnipotent God who is not to be trifled with, and He is present, and He is with them, and He knows them, and they are standing before Him. And so what they find in the gospel, what they find in the gospel, is that the awesomeness of God should have crushed them, but rather, the awesomeness of God intervened in their lives and saved them. They, were, they should have been crushed by the awesomeness of God, but instead they were saved by the awesomeness of God. That's the miracle. That's the power. That's the wonder. That's the awe. That's the fuel for their worship. That's the fuel for their worship. That's what brought them together. That's what's holding them together. You know what worship is? Worship is the heart's response and the life's devotion to the awesomeness of God. We think about worship, we think about singing. Singing's a part of worship. I think one of the craziest terms I've ever heard in my life is worship style. Like, what is that? 
worship style? You're going to worship in a style? No, that's not worship. Worship is saying, God, here is my life. God, let I am undone in your presence. God, I should not even be welcomed near you. I should be crushed by you. But God, you love me. You love me. And so, God, here is my life. Here is the song of my heart. Here is the declaration of my soul. Here is the devotion of my life. Here is all that I am. I am a living sacrifice offered unto you. That, that, that is pleasing worship in the eyes of the Almighty. Not a worship style. You see, if we're brought together by a style of worship... We're brought together because we're traditional or we're contemporary or we're brought together because of a style of preaching or we're, we're brought together because our church is, is casual or formal. What we've created are fault lines along the preferences of people. What we've done is we've tried to build a social club uh, by finding the most common denominator among the selfishness that lies within us. But if our fellowship is founded on the awe of an awesome God, if our fellowship is brought together by the wonder of the glory of God, what man can break us apart? What man can break us apart? I want you to think about how this looks in your life. You see, what, what, what awe and wonder does is it brings life into perspective, doesn't it? What all does is it makes small things look small, not big. Most of us are overwhelmed because small things look like big things in our lives. But awe and wonder makes small things look small, like they are. For instance, if you're on a family vacation, right? And look, I don't know how y'all's family vacations are, but there's usually a point in the hell family vacation, the hells do not do well hangry, right? Like we are Anita Snickers kind of family. And there, there, there usually inevitably comes a part where all of us are hangry and we've kind of pushed it too far and we've been on the beach too long and we kind of get at each other a little bit. We, the, the conflict starts to bubble up in the car and I'm like, y'all be quiet. And, you know, Daddy, we don't do it. You know that, how, how all that goes. And, and Meg's like, don't be so hard on the kids. Don't be so hard on me. And you, you, y'all know how that goes, right? So, so imagine that you're out in Arizona and, and this is going on in the car. And you're there, and then everybody just needs a Snickers. But then all of a sudden, you get out, and you walk to the rim of the Grand Canyon. Do you know what happens to the family? A hush sweeps over the family. All of a sudden, you're not worried about what happened or didn't happen, what, who said what, who touched who. You're looking over something that takes your breath away, that provokes you. You're looking over something that, that causes your mouth to fall open and your, your mind to race and your heart to just struggle to comprehend what you're seeing. Awe and wonder brings you together, doesn't it? You begin to take pictures together. You begin to reflect together. You, you're not fighting anymore. You're awestruck. Let me tell you something else I've seen. You can have a family. And there can be deep divisions in that family. Pain. Real pain. Not, not invalid pain. Real pain. There can be real disappointments and real, real letdowns and, and real frustrations and, and all of the stuff you're dealing with. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you bring a new baby home from the hospital in the middle of that family. And you know what they're able to do? 
all those people that have been at each other's throats and all of those people that have those divisions and all of those people that have all of those hurts and all of those reasons not to like one another, all of a sudden they come into the same living room and not a single word of it's spoken. Because there's something about beholding that little baby that lets you know that a miracle of God has happened in your midst. And you sit there and you look and your heart is filled with awe and wonder and amazement. Church, that's how it's to be in our fellowship with one another. That's how it's to be in our relationships with one another. We are not brought together by our preferences. We are not brought together by our personalities. We are not brought together by our demographic. We are not brought together by our age, what our age is, what our age isn't, what our color is, what our color isn't, what our finances are, what they aren't, how we dress, how we don't. We're not brought together by any of those things. What we are brought together by is the awe and the amazement and the wonder of Almighty God that a God as great as that loves someone as insignificant as me. And so as long as we focus on that, our connection, our connection is rock solid. So see, connection begins with worship. Connection begins with worship. Next, what I want you to see is that connection is belonging to a family. Connection is belonging to a family. If you look at verse 44, what it says there is it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Had all things in common. The word in common there, if you, if you went back to verse 42 where it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, this is actually the root word of that word. So uh, the word fellowship in the New Testament literally means to have in common together. To have in common together. And so what we're seeing there in verse 44 is we're seeing an explanation of the nature of New Testament of New Testament fellowship. Like, this is what it means to be in a fellowship with other people who follow after Jesus, other people who are awestruck by the glory of God. And, and it says in there that all who believed and had all things in common. Now, what does that mean? A lot of people have taken that to mean a lot of different things. And you can see how it works out. They begin selling their possessions. A lot of people think that possessions is real estate. Um, and so they begin to, to sell their things, and they begin to uh, sell their belongings, and it says that they, they distribute to all as any has need. So some people have said that what this is is like a spiritual commune, like a spiritual communism that's established among them, except that that's, that's not the case. The words uh, selling, the word distributing is in the imperfect tense in, in the Greek. And, and, and look, I'm giving you a grammar lesson that you're not asking for, but here, here's what that means. What that means is it, it represents something that's happened in the past, and something that's almost certain to happen again in the future. So it really is based not all at once. They're not selling everything they have at once and putting it in a, uh, a, a pot. And then everybody drawing out of that pot. They're saying as needs arise, as things come up, they'll do what has to be done to make sure everybody's taken care of. As needs come. So, so the idea here is not a, a spiritual communism where we, we pool together all of our possessions. The idea here is that we would share a common life. That we would share a common life. That, that my life is no longer my life. And your life is no longer your life. Now it's our life. Now it's our life. That we commit ourselves because of what we have found in Christ. Because remember who we are. We are branches all attached to a single vine. We are members of one body united under the single headship of Christ. So we are brought together so that we share a body. We are brought together so that we share a vine. We are brought together as one people sharing a life so that now what's, happen, what's to happen is I'm going to take responsibility for your life and you're going to take responsibility for my life because it's a common life. Because it's our life. Because it's not about me, it's about us. I, I, I preached a, a D now 
to a, a group of kind of, you know, I'm just going to say, I mean, they, they, they got like a big old fancy church. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I was, so I, I told them, I said, look, I want to get, get rabbit town for y'all just a second. We were, we were talking about the unity of the church. And I said, in the New Testament, it's never about you. It's always about y'all, right? It's always about y'all. There's this idea of, of collecting. So, so the way this worked out in the early church is what they would say is they would say, you're never going to be cold so long as I have clothes. You're never going to be hungry so long as I have food. You are never going to be homeless so long as I have a house. Because all that I am, all that I have, all that I'm going to have, all that I'm going to be, I'm committed to sharing it with you because we share Christ. Because we share Christ. It's really, if you think to the new command that Jesus gives in John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you. That you would love one another. And this begins to play out in the life of the early church. And it's really a theme of, of uh, John's first letter in 1 John. And I want you to think about how he picks this up. He says in verse 16 of chapter 3, By this we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And now we, so it moves from he to we, ought to lay down our lives for who? The brothers. For the brothers. Not the world. Not the neighborhood. The brothers, the sisters, right? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So here's what he's saying, that there is a compulsion, there is a compulsion that arises in the Christian life that as you realize and come to deeper awareness of the goodness of God and the grace of God and the generosity of God toward you, there is a compulsion now in your life to demonstrate that same generosity toward others, a compulsion to, to demonstrate and take responsibility for other people. Think about what they're doing. And this is what we're being called to do. What they're saying is, I will lower my standard of living to raise your standard of living. I will lower my standard of living to make sure that your needs are met. I will lower my standard of living. I will, I will lower my buying power so that you are able to have all the things that you need. So that the glory of Christ is able to spread. So that the gospel is able to advance. And man, so many of you do that. So many of you, even now, are, man, at lot, at Annie Armstrong, I didn't want to announce it just yet because we have more coming in. But we, we, our goal is 7,000. We're at almost 11,000 right now. Right? Right? And, and, and that's a sacrifice, man. That's a sacrifice. And you're lowering, you're buying. But some of you aren't driving the car that you can drive. You aren't living in the house that you could live in. You aren't wearing the clothes that you could wear. You aren't going on the vacations that you could be going on because you are committed to giving to the life of the church so that the needs can be met, so that the kids can be discipled, so that the community can be cared for, so that the gospel can spread, so that churches can be planted. Man, that's the idea. That's the idea worldly goods but but it, the new testament extends it beyond worldly goods to our spiritual needs to our emotional needs i think about our dear brother sam many of you know sam and he tragically loses his dad and i show up to the funeral home you know what i see i see iron city folks everywhere even though now he's on the staff of another church, I see Iron City folks everywhere hugging him and, and wrapping their arms around him. I see, I see brothers and sisters reaching out to him. You know why? You know what? What he needed for us wasn't $5. What he needed for us wasn't $100. He didn't need a bill paid. He didn't need a house. He needed a hug. He needed presence. He needed love. This is what a family is, y'all. This is what a family is. 
It's us taking responsibility for the physical, the spiritual, and the emotional needs that one another has. It's, it's going all in with each other and saying, I'm going to live a common life with you. So if you have a problem, I've got a problem. If you've got a celebration, I've got a celebration. If you've got good news or bad news, I've got good news or bad news. Man, I've experienced this. I've been on the, I started thinking, I don't know that I've, I've actually been able to even tell you this. You, my, my health issues are well documented. And I, I can remember my mom coming and she would stay in the hospital room nine days and would not budge, right? Or would not leave there every single second. Why? That's my family. That's my mama. That's my mama. It ain't nobody in my corner. If none of y'all like me, my mama likes me, right? My mother-in-law uprooted her life and moved in with me. And she began to care for me and take weight on me. Hand if I couldn't get myself out of a chair, I couldn't, I couldn't go and, 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 and make myself something to eat. She, did all, she, she moved to take care of me. My, my dad would take off from work and drive me to appointments. My wife, y'all, there were some low days. There were some low days. I couldn't bathe myself. I couldn't take care of myself. That woman, she refused to let me feel bad and humiliated by the way that she cared for me. Why? That's my family. But you want to know what else happened? Some of y'all showed up in the middle of the night at my house when I had to be rushed back to the emergency room and took care of my kids. Some of y'all brought, brought meals to my houses and you texted me encouragement and, and words of scripture. The, the personnel team gathered together and, and they said, what we want to make sure is, is we want to make sure that you're healthy. We want to make sure that you're okay. You know what? I didn't miss a single check. I, I've had to take two extended absences on behalf of my, because of my health. And this is my livelihood. And I didn't miss a single check. You're my family. You're my family. And I don't know if I've ever told you, but I will never forget it. I will never forget the way that you've cared for me. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm telling you, you're my family. This is what families do. This is what families do. Do you notice that it never addresses, in this text at least, it's not addressing the people that are receiving, it's addressing the people that are giving. Why is that? So it's making the connection there with fellowship. And they were selling. Talking about the fellowship. They had everything in common. And then that's fellowship, right? And then they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. So, so the emphasis on fellowship is that they were doing the selling and they were doing the distributing. You know what I think is highlighted here? Is that the fellowship is built through service. The fellowship is built through service. Do you want to know the best way for you to connect with someone? Serve them. Serve them. Man, some of y'all, I, I didn't even hardly know you, and you just came and loved on me, and now I just feel such a connection with you. We saw this correlation in our own statistics in our survey. So we said, how would you describe your current servanthood in the life of our church? We had 65% of the people surveyed that said that they felt like they, they, were, they, they were serving and they enjoyed serving. Now, in your mind, do you see the correlation? What was the percentage of people that felt connected? About 60%. What's the percentage of people who were serving and enjoying serving? About 60%. That there's something about when the family begins to take relationship, to uh, take 
uh, serve one another, that it deepens the relationship and it enriches the relationship and it strengthens the connection. So now I'm not on the outside looking in. Now I am a contributing member of the family. Now I'm a part of what God is doing here. Now I have a team of people in the children's ministry or in the women's ministry or in uh, the youth ministry or, or working in the nursery or on the praise. Like I have a team of people that are now in shoulder to shoulder with me so that there is a sense of this brotherhood that is a reality. And it makes you feel connected. That, that if you're looking for connections, that one of the responsibilities that I'm going to encourage you to take is to find where you serve. To, to find the place where you can begin to serve other brothers and sisters in the faith. The last thing I want you to see is that connection is becoming friends. Connection is becoming friends. So it says uh, there that day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in where? Their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. There's joy, right? There's joy. Praising God and having favor with all the people. So, so if, I want you to notice that the emphasis here is on how much time they're spending together. The emphasis, the emphasis here is, is just exactly all of the energy that's, that's going to be exerted here in the life of the church. In other words, this is a family, but they're also friends. There's a difference, isn't there? Some of y'all are related to some people you wouldn't have chose to be related to. Right? You got that uncle, you got that, that, uh, that, that cousin. Some of you related to people that you wouldn't choose to be related to. So there's a difference sometimes between being family and friends. There's a difference sometimes between loving somebody and liking someone. But there in the early church, what we see is it's a family and it's friends. They love each other and they like each other. They take responsibility for one another, but they also want to be around each other. They want to spend time together. There was an informal and a formal nature to the church. You notice that? They go to the temple together. So they would gather to the temple, and the apostles there at the temple, they weren't excluded. They weren't under persecution at this time. So they would gather together at the temple, and the apostles would begin to expound God's word and, and share what Christ had done and continue to, to teach them all the things that Christ had said. And so it was like the whole church, 3,000 of them gathered there before the apostles, gathered like before their general as the army receiving their marching orders. But then there was a, a, an informal nature. After that, they would disseminate into various homes. There, there was not a single home in all of Jerusalem that could have held 3,000 people. They went to many homes. They went to a lot of different homes. And, and there, it was like they were with their squad where they could know and be known and enjoy one another. And, and it's this that leads to joy. Every healthy family I know, if they have joy, it's because why? They spend time together. They spend time together. You won't find a joyful family that spends an hour a week together. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it's, it's non-existent. My, my Sarah, she's, uh, she's still trying to figure out the days of the weeks, right? Um, and so she, and she plays this game. Like she, spends, she stays with her grandmother, and she, she loves to stay with her grandmother. Uh, but, but she really likes to be with mom and dad. And so she plays this game, and she'll say, Dad, what's tomorrow? And I'll say, baby, tomorrow is Thursday. Okay, what happens on Thursday? Thursday, dad goes to work, mom goes to school, sissy goes to school. Oh, okay, okay. What happens the next day? Well, th baby, that's Friday. That's daddy. Oh, I like daddy day. Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, maybe we can go to the park and go to Sonic, dad, you know? But the one that she's building up to every week, and she won't stop until she gets there, no matter what day she starts on, is what day is Saturday? What happens on Saturday, dad? Well, baby, Saturday's family day. Oh, daddy, you know I love family day. I love it when all of the family is together. I love it when it's you and mom and sissy and brother. She says it's just like that, right? 
I, I love it when we go to the woods. I love it when we, when we get in the car and we go do something. Daddy, I love family day. That there is a joy in that little girl's heart when all of her family is able to be with her at the same time. That's what the church is supposed to be like, y'all. That's what the church is supposed to be like. We ought to be having relationships with each other throughout the week. We ought to be inviting people into our home, and we ought to be having these informal uh, meetings, and we ought to be able to have, have pieces and, and going to lunch with one another and, and, having, uh, and, and going on vacation together and camping together and doing hobbies together. And we, we ought to be talking on the phone and texting with one another. And then when we come together on Sunday, do you know what Sunday is? Sunday is family day. Sunday is family day. So what you have here is this really big church. And y'all, we're not, we're not the biggest church in town, but we're not a small church either. And I know that some of the desperation of what you feel is, I, I, there's so many people I don't know. How did this early church do it? It's the way the church has always done it. You have this really big church that finds ways to get smaller, that finds ways to break into these groups and go into homes. This isn't original to us. It's not an Iron City strategy. This has been happening for thousands of years. Look at what we found. Remember, the, the percentage of people that feel connected is what? It's about 60%. What's the percentage of people that are in groups? About 60%. About 60%. Do you see the correlation? My desire is that you would be connected. My desire is that your awe and wonder of God would be increased. My desire is that you would be discipled in the faith. The dream that I have for you is that your walk with Christ would be filled with vitality and joy. But it will not happen. It will not happen if you come and remain anonymous. You've got to come and connect with us and go all in. In Iron City, we've got to take responsibility to own this process, to help people connect and to invite them out to Jackson, to go spend time with them outside of the church, and to invite them into our groups. But we can't create a bunch of classrooms upstairs. We can't recreate classrooms in our homes, what we have to create are families, families, squads that share lives with one another, that know each other, that wrestle with the truths of God's word together, fellowship, that share things in common with each other and share burdens with each other and pray for each other and confess sin to each other. I open this morning by telling you about my friend, my friend that experienced transformation. Do you know where that happened? It happened right here. That's somebody whose life was changed through the fellowship of Iron City Baptist Church. Y'all, we've got to do it again. We've got to do it again. We've got to, comp- we've got to keep doing it. We've got to take responsibility. Because through that process, all of a sudden, a wife got a godly daddy. And a baby's got go- a, god- a, go- a godly daddy. A wife got a godly husband, and a baby's got a godly daddy. A church got a godly leader. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It wasn't a closed fellowship. It was an ever-connecting, multiplying fellowship. Let it be said of us. Let's pray together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. 
We look forward to seeing you soon.